This week at Macy's, find Valentine's Day gifts for all your loves, like fragrance gift sets they'll adore. Plus, take an extra 15% off with your coupon or Macy's card. On top of beautiful jewelry finds, now 35 to 70% off. And 25% off decadent chocolate from Godiva. Macy's Star Rewards members earn on every purchase except gift card services and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Fact or myth? In the big game, the coin toss usually comes up heads. That is a myth. In fact, tails has come up more often in recent years. Football is full of myths. Like the pigskin isn't actually made of pigskin. Gambling is a share of myths too. Unfortunately, believing gambling myths can cost you a lot of money. So learn what's myth and what's fact at KeepItFunOhio.com. You'll also find helpful tips, interesting quizzes, and great games all to help ensure gambling is always fun. Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often, I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app, and then it makes sure it goes out to iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. it they take care of everything, distribution, they help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the App Store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out. Covering the Orioles the only way we know how as fans. Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. Today on the show, we are talking to Adam Pohl from the Bowie Bay Sox. Adam's always been a great guest, always great to 336, and very knowledgeable about what's going on with the minor leagues. Uh, Skype is Skype in this episode, so it's not the best connection once in a while. I apologize about that. Please bear with it because this conversation is worth listening to. We spend basically most of the show, I guess, we spend talking about this whole proposal to eliminate minor league teams and what that means and what that impact could look like and all of that. So this is a podcast you should listen to. It's a podcast you should share. It's very knowledgeable. And thank you for your patience with Skype being Skype. Let's get on with the show. Behind home plate, we bringing it to him all day. All day. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Birdland. Win or lose, we bringing it to you always. Always. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Orange or black, we rebuild the pack. No matter where we at, you know we coming back. Section 336, we on this, so tune in. Tune in. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, Next Generation of Baltimore Sports Talk. I am your endearingly stuttering host, Matt Sroka. As always, I'm joined by the button lover, Josh Sroka. Hey, Matt. How's it going? How was your Thanksgiving? Just fine. Just fine. And and sitting in uh, Bert's seat today, we got the all voice right. of the, the Bowie Bay Sox, Adam Paul. Adam, welcome. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? It's hard. Bert, I know, has become a uh, a figure with all of your female audience. Uh, I know you guys are putting out a Bert calendar. Uh, I heard February, the picture is one to be desired, so I apologize in advance. 
because everyone always says I've got a great face for radio. So uh, sorry to all, all the uh, female fans out there. <laughs> now there were you you are a welcome replacement to to Bert and you're just to be clear, I don't think you're literally sitting in Bert's seat right now in his house. I think you're coming from your own house, which is probably better that way. You know, I never knew, you know, Bert, I mean, golly, he can cook a turkey. I, you know, <laughs> usually I think you have a certain amount of pounds or how many people there. And he had like a 16 pounder. He only had five people. So he's got a lot of leftovers, but he's going to be disappointed when he gets back in. So you're right. Usually Bert is bed sitting in his kitchen with my feet on his sink now and, and I'm gorging myself. Well, one of the reasons there's so much extra turkey is he didn't invite his own brother-in-laws to his own uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, so that's that's probably why I so much. I, I was not invited over. Is it, is it, <sighs> right, isn't Bert out of town? I don't know. I think he went away for Thanksgiving. Okay, I didn't see anything. Well, Bert, your, uh, your alarm system is, is not holding up. <laughs> Whatever you're paying for this uh, for this fee. It's it's not viable. <laughs> well, we got a, we got a lot to get to, boys and girls. Today, there's a lot of there's some Orioles news. There's some, of course, some minor league news, and we got Adam Poland here to kind of recap the minor league season. Talk about the Bowie uh, Bay Sox. Are you are you call, are you Can referring we, to winter warm up as news? Well, <laughs> yeah. So okay. I, I, it's marked on my calendar. December fourteenth, winter warm up. I will be there, and I actually think. Wait, wait are you really going? Yeah, it's marked my calendar. I told Silas, like, we're going. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I think it's going to be packed in that little area of Utah Street. Well, it all, right? it all depends on the weather, right? Yes, it's, it's outdoors. So if it's like the weather today for the Ravens game, I don't think you'll worry about the crowd. <laughs> but think about how many people go to FanFest, right? Like, people, especially yeah. in the winter months, are itching for Orioles baseball, even if the Orioles keep on doing dumb stuff like trying to release Jonathan VR. Um, Adam Pohl. What are your thoughts on on FanFest? Uh, did that come as a surprise to to, to you? Yeah, and really. Why did. do you think the Orioles are not doing FanFest? I wish I had a good answer. I really don't know. Um, you know, there was a year where they struggled in booking that convention center, and they ended up doing the FanFest. You might remember this, like in December instead of February. Um, and, and it was way down in attendance that year. That was probably four or five years ago. Uh, there was a year, uh, years ago where they tried to do it at Camden Yards, uh, and that was just crazy, like in the suite level. I don't know if you remember that. That was probably over a decade ago now. That, but that was I, right I, after the strike year. Gotcha. was when they had yeah. it in Camden Yards, because yeah. I do remember attending that one. Yeah, so I was to that one as well. I, I just don't really get it. I mean, it may, maybe it's an expense. I, you know, do you think that's what it is? I mean, it's more of an expense. I, I just don't know what else, uh, what else it could really be. And, um, you know, I, I just wonder, uh, I, to be honest, I've not really looked into this much, but the, the ruling came down that the Orioles have got to pay almost $100 million to the Nationals. And um, I, I, I just don't know if, if there's going to be a few years where they're trying to get really clean uh, to try to absorb some of that hit. All right, yeah. so, so you're going with the strategy of the same way they're dumping any player that we've heard of because they don't want to pay it. They also don't want to pay for FanFest. I, I just don't know. I mean, to be honest, I, I really don't. I, I usually have a, a, a very good, you know, thought. Well, not thought. No, I'm saying I, I usually have a, a real feel for it, um, or at least 
a real opinion, but I, I just don't know. I was really surprised by it. So, yeah, and it Doro seemed to to play it out as like they're not doing fan fest, but instead they'll do other things. And we already heard about one of them happening December fourteenth on Utah Street. But it's right. just it was a little surprising to me that okay, if you're gonna change up fan fest because you think you can do something better. That's fine. Like we're we're open. Like this is new regime. We're open to innovation. It's just surprised that they took away FanFest without telling us at that point, like here is what we're doing in lieu of FanFest in the off season. Um so it kind of feels well, like they're just throwing these things together and as it comes along. And obviously the you know, the new regime has got their hands in everything a little bit, but that, that's a good question because, you know, usually at the major league level, the baseball operations side and the business operations side, they're, they're just about completely separate. Um, so my guess would be that this would have been more on the business operations side, but I, I just don't know. I mean, would uh, Mike Elias, uh, Sig Meidel, would they have their hand in this? Would they say, we don't want to make our players come all the way back. I, I don't know. Just to me, FanFest is an event almost every team does. And the juice is worth the squeeze. And uh, the first time I ever went, because I'd never been to one before with the Orioles, I was shocked by how many people there. It was unbelievable yeah. to me. Uh, I know that the minor league partners, because that's the, really the branch that I'm a part of, love FanFest and being a part of it every year and are appreciative that the Orioles include us. Um, you know, in a small way. And um, I don't know. I, I, so so th- there's got to be a reason. It's probably financial. Maybe it's not, um, you know, but, but uh, I don't know if I'm the right person to really take. It, it's not something where I really have any in- intel. Okay. Okay. Because I was telling everybody that FanFest is canceled because of Adam Pohl. He's the reason it was canceled. <laughs> so I apologize if you get some hate mail for that one. You know what? Yes. You know, so just to let you know, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been coming in hot and heavy. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and while we're talking about the major league team, Josh mentioned this. I feel like I'm just now with my son, Silas, who's a two, two and a half. We're making the transition from crib to real bed. And this is not going well because Silas really likes the crib and he doesn't want to make the transition to to the real bed. So today we had a nice conversation about change and about the importance of change. It's not a bad thing, but we need to kind of roll with the change and embrace the change and how change can lead to new opportunities. Um, This is what I told my two and a half year old. I don't think he understood a word. But then right after that, I went on like Twitter and complained that the Orioles were going to get rid of Jonathan VR. because I, I don't like the, the change, the, the way this is going. Um, first of all, I have two questions related to this for both Josh and Adam. One, I don't understand the details of this. First, it was said he was put on waivers. Then it was framed in a way that the Orioles now have till Monday or something to make a decision, like to reach a deal with him. And then on Monday night, he becomes a free agent. Um, so that means I guess he can still be traded, right? As of Monday, if a team claims some, they could work out a deal. Uh, do, do you know what's the deal with the Johnson yeah. VR thing? So my understanding is that when you put a player on waivers uh, during the offseason like this, it means that other teams are able to reach out and make a deal with him, and then the Orioles can make a trade, or the Orioles can then, when that deadline hits at the end of Monday, and no one cl- if no one claims him, then Villar can either choose to be a free agent or negotiate with the Orioles. 
which would mean that he would not go to arbitration, correct? Right. Yes. If no one picks him up. Because the whole thing is that the Orioles are trying to train a player that is going to be a $10 million a year. And they, you know, if he was a $2 million a year player, they'd probably be able to trade him. That That's my take on it. But because of his number that makes him, you know, a, a, a tough piece to trade. It's, it's hard to see that, you know, because he's really a fun ball player to watch and you, you have to love how he competed last year on a, on a team that obviously was the bottom of the barrel in baseball. It, it's just, and it, it's just frustrating as an Oriole fan, because obviously you're, you're trying to hold on to these positive things and it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I mean, the reality is that the Orioles obviously are are still playing this thing out for a few years down the road, and uh, they just don't feel that paying somebody like this that amount of money is, is helping them at this point. I, I don't think it's about VR. I just think it's about the number that he's going to have to get paid. I, I guess, but I cannot comprehend how a guy who had a, he was a four-war year la, la, last year, a guy who plays middle infield second and shortstop – is is a is you know a havoc on the base paths, and, and I know it's ten million dollars, but it's one year, right? You're just so it's not a big risk because it's just one year for ten million dollars, and then he's a free agent. How another team can't want VR on their team? I can't imagine how he's untradeable. I don't get that. Well, no, he's untradeable because why would you make a trade with him now when if you just wait until Monday night, he's a free agent, and you can negotiate straight to him because you got to compete with thirty other teams at that point, right? Right. But you're not. But the Orioles aren't in the mix, and you don't have to give up anything. You just got to pay the guy, because clearly well, Villar is not going to come well, I mean, back the to the Orioles. Is that if there were, yeah, it, it's really weird. You know, it's kind of bizarre. Obviously, obviously, though, there aren't multiple teams that are pushing for him right now. So, um, you know, at that number, I guess. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out uh, o- overall. Um, you know, for VR financially too. Yeah, and you're right, Adam. It's not about VR, and I, and I get that. And like, if you're the Orioles, and we we used to talk about this all the time. Like, is is in, in the Orioles situation that this year is it better to win to I'm sorry to lose ninety games at a seventy million dollars sal- a team salary, or is it better to lose ninety five games at a sixty million dollars salary? Right. So right. Like, like it, it doesn't matter. So I kind of get it for, from that point. But on the yeah, other hand, there's a lot of things yeah, to ahead. think about, you know, with with the finances of the team and um, and how they're changing everything from soup to nuts uh, and all the investment they're looking to put into Latin America and all these things that they're, they're putting a lot more money into the minor leagues as far as their infrastructure and things of that nature. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's obvious that right now that's the focus and. Uh, having a $10 million player uh, like VR, albeit he's an influence in the club. And so it's it, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, you could make a, a pitch to yourself that, you know, the Orioles are maybe two years away from, from being, you know, a team that's going to start pushing this to start winning again. And VR is a pretty good player. Maybe, you know, maybe he could be a guy that in 2022 is a veteran piece that helps you win. But, um, but and that, and that middle infield is a position of need for us, yeah. Right, right. So, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I and I get all that. But it's, it's a bit of a tough pill to swallow as a fan when you see the Orioles just cutting your best player, your, you know, one of your best players, just because he's cost. And one of your worst players <laughs> is still there, Chris Davis, just because he's making all that money. So we're getting rid of good players keeping players that aren't as good. And it's just, from a fan perspective, it's kind of frustrating to watch, even if we get it. Yeah, totally. And But that's also kind of what we've... Isn't that what we kind of came to accept? I mean, the other rumor is that the Orioles are trying to trade Dylan Bundy. And we yeah. all totally understand why they're trying to trade Dylan Bundy, sure. because he's no longer valuable to them. And we all agree he will turn into Cy Young the second we trade him. We've all accepted this. <laughs> yeah, sure, totally. You know, it is it is interesting though that uh, baseball has changed so much in the last five years, uh, kind of after the Glabar Torres trade, as far as what you're able to get in these trades. I mean, the last year or two, uh, the the trades that have been made in baseball just haven't looked anything like they did five, ten years ago, as far as the kind mm-hmm. of prospects that were being dealt in these deals. It's, it's something. Which I think makes it harder on the rebuilding team, right? Because people are holding on to their prospects more than they did five, five years ago. Because that service time becomes so valuable. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, like, I think, and I think this is, in, in the large part, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's not good or bad. Maybe it's neutral. But I just feel like it's bad for baseball when you have a guy like VR who's a really good baseball player who a team can't pay $10 million to keep on their team. I feel like there's something that's, that, that like this isn't good for baseball when guys like VR don't get picked up, who you know are good. Because you have so many teams who are not who are more worried about cost, less worried about putting a competitive t- team on the field. I just I don't know if this is good for baseball, big picture. Well, it's true. You know, the bigger thing with the VR, this thing really, you know, it's it's the thing of the moment. For the for or it hits a little bit because 2014 the, mm. we were so good and, and and then you trade a big prospect Eduardo Rodriguez who's almost a 20 game winner now in the major leagues mm-hmm. and you trade him away for a few months of Andrew Miller and then Andrew Miller signs for, for like eight or nine million a year afterwards and we don't re-sign him you know yeah. and and then Nelson Cruz leaves and it's like you know a lot of teams when you finally get good you know a big big piece of this puzzle is you struggle you struggle finally get good and then you add on to your good team and you try to win and the orioles hit that apex in 2014 and you know the orioles were struggling to just keep their own players they were not not adding on they were obviously um you know kind of in the opposite mode and i think that looking back at it maybe you know it's kind of a feeling of like oh here we go again but I, I just i don't really think you can put it in the same boat you know yeah yeah i, I agree because at the because at, at, at this point the goal is to look towards the future where at, at that point, 2014, it, it felt like just band-aids after band-aids repeat put on just to try to extend the window as much as possible. But you were mortgaging the future a little bit okay. um, in doing it. There's doubt. I mean, in, in those few years, the Orioles traded away Eduardo Rodriguez and Zach Davies. Those are mm-hmm. two pitchers that have each had 
16 win seasons. They traded away Josh Hader, one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. So if they didn't kind of go for it via the trades at that point, obviously uh, the last few years would have been different. Um, you know, if you had a rotation that had a few more pieces to it and had kind of a dominant arm, you know, I mean, yeah. it might've been in a different place, but, um, but that, that's kind of the way it went. But, you know, the frustration obviously is that the Orioles kind of are in, in a position and this is going to continue this way where you just can't make the big mistake where other organizations can. Right. So the Yankees, I know they haven't won the World Series, but this Ellsbury contract was an absolute disaster for them. And it's they're fine, you know, and for the Orioles, we have a contract that's a disaster for us. Uh, Obviously, the Chris Davis contract kind of blew up in Baltimore's face. Not that Chris Davis is a great player for the Orioles prior, but the reality is it's that it kind of sped up the reality that this rebuild had to happen. Well, yeah, that combined with a other series of bad contracts, whether you want to look at the Obato Jimenez contract, the Oz Cobb contract, where I know it was a lot of injury related, the Mark Trumbo contract. It was just, it was a series of bad contracts to go along right. with the massive right. Davis contract. And then bad but and like, then if trades you that have didn't Eduardo work out. Rodriguez and you have Zach Davies. Yeah, Josh Hader. You could say if you have Jake Arrieta, I mean, that's a hard one too, obviously. I mean, like if you have some of these pitchers that were your minor league pitchers at that time, then you and you don't spend the money. You realize that you have Christian Walker and Trey Mancini in AAA and AA, and you let Davis go and you let those guys come up and take their mm-hmm. turn. I mean, you might have the money with the extra 30 if you don't sign Trumbo, 45 million to go sign some pitchers. I mean, you know, so all of a sudden you're looking at a completely different team. But hey, yeah. I mean, that's that's just the way it, <laughs> it didn't go. That's just the way it went. I mean, the Orioles made some great moves as well. I mean, the J.J. Hardy trade, uh, you know, Chris Davis getting him here for well, initially. I mean, there's no doubt that they made some moves. Yeah. I mean, even the drafting of man. I mean, I know he. there were three guys to be drafted and he was the guy left, but, you know, we could have taken James Ion that year. So, you know, he was the number two pick. So, I, you know, there's a lot of a lot of ways that, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some, I guess, in this regard. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and no team gets it perfect. Uh, but you're right, especially when you're a small market team, you have to minimize the damage. Hey, speaking of second guessing. How I, I just this is kind of random, but I just thought of it. Um, Mike Yastrzemski had a really good year for the Giants. How how surprising was that? Incredible. I mean, you know, this is another topic, obviously, but but and I don't want to minimize Yastrzemski's season, but um, but boy, you know, uh, Mike never played with this baseball. The, the baseball was so juiced this year in mm. the major leagues, and he had never hit more than. Th- 15 runs in a season he hit how many did he hit in the big leagues this year? did he hit 30 I, I think he was in the upper 20s i don't know if he yeah. got 30 yeah but but yeah. what people don't realize is that he didn't play for the first six weeks in the majors right he hit 12 homers in the first six weeks of the year in triple a i mean he hit more than 40 homers this year that is <laughs> unreal i mean it's a, it's really amazing, and I, I'm so happy for him. Obviously, um, you have to understand as a minor league ball player in, in a minor league clubhouse, it's a little bit weird because you want to be the young guy, right? The young guy 
usually a clubhouse team or even I mean, obviously, it's not always this way. Like Lamar Jackson's young, but but a lot of times your veterans are are your best players. They're the ones that are getting interviewed. They're the ones that are getting attention. They're the leaders of the team. Yada yada yada. Well, in minor league baseball, unfortunately, nobody cares about how the team's doing for the most part, right? They just want to know how the prospects are doing, and the prospects, by and large, are your youngest players. So you've got all these for Bowie. You know, the average player is twenty four. You've got all these twenty. Five and 26-year-olds that are grumbling in the corner as the 21 and 22-year-olds get all the attention. And the thing is that Mike Yastrzemski was at one point on the young side of that. When he was drafted, he, he rose precipitously through the system, made it to boot. We quickly made a big flash early in his first week with the Bay Sox, but he really hit a wall at double A Bowie. And um, I mean, it's un- unbelievable, but he really spent two and a half years with the Bay Sox, but he actually played a game in parts of five seasons with Bowie 2014 wow. through 2018. And, and really there's not that many players that, that have done that. So, uh, you, you know, you, you look at it when Yastrzemski was on the Bay Sox in those last few years. You had Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes and Santander and DJ Stewart, you know, getting the attention. And Yastrzemski was the guy that was doing all the interviews in 2014. And, you know, he won the Bay Sox championship team with Trey Mancini in 15. And, uh, you know, you just look back at it and it's, it's pretty wild. So um, all in all, an incredible story of perseverance. There are a lot of players over the years that have broken through have been late risers and have kind of made it to the big league in their late twenties. Jason Worth is a great example. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, th- there's really, uh, you know, a lot of players that have had good long careers. Um, like Kevin Millar, Kevin Millar. I mean, it's amazing that he was a major league baseball player and he's still, you know, still a guy like, like on MLB TV when you, when you, at his minor league career because I don't think he played in the major leagues till he was like 27 or 28. So my hope, of course, is that Yastrzemski can, you know, make this more than a one-year wonder. Um, just an incredible story, though. And um, boy, what a hard worker! And obviously, the the Orioles ended on the wrong stick of that one. But the reality too is that the Orioles have a lot of young, exciting outfield prospects, and uh, we're going to see them really coming to Baltimore. I mean, you really started to see it last year because Santander and Hayes really made a mark. And, you know, Mullins struggled, but let's hope he has a bounce back. And then you had DJ Storm, an injury plague year. But, you know, those are our four guys right there. And then you've got the next wave, which is Yusniel Diaz and Ryan McKenna that are coming. So it's, it's, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Orioles outfield looks like in two years, but my opinion is that all three outfielders uh, will be homegrown. So Yastrzemski this year uh, played um, 107 games he was in. He hit 21 home runs and went away with a 2.8 war by the end of the season. Now the so he, downside is he's 20, he 29 years old. Homers. Right. But, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, He's not going to get a 10-year, $300 million contract. But the reality is, you know, he he had a lot of pressure that most players of his ilk don't. This guy was a 14th-round senior sign out of Vanderbilt, meaning that, that guy's not – I mean, Vanderbilt's a great baseball program. It's the best baseball program along with Oregon State. Those are probably the two best right now in collegiate baseball. But the reality of it is if you're a 14th-round senior sign, you're – 
you know, what, what is really your percentage chance of playing in one major league game? I mean, it is very minuscule. He, he, the guy that he shared the outfield with, um, I, I can't remember his name exactly. At Vanderbilt was drafted seventh round by the Tigers and played two or three years in Erie here at double A, the level that I broadcast. And then he retired, you know, so it's very, it's, it's really incredible what he's accomplished. And I think people will say, well, you know, his father was one of the top three or four players in one of the great franchises in baseball's history, uh, or father that is, but you know, I mean, Mike Yastrzemski's father was a good ball player too, and never made it triple A. So, it's 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 so hard well and matt i like that you brought up underdog story matt i like that you brought up mike ustensky because it's a good transition because what we really wanted Mm -hmm. to get adam on here and talk about is this whole mlb proposing to kind of get rid of some minor league players so you have less players less teams which means guys like ustensky are going to be pushed out of the minors before before they they hit that or get that opportunity very interesting. Uh, you know, the, the proposal that is standing, and it's a long shot to go through, but hey, a long shot still scares everybody within my industry, is that 42 minor league baseball teams would be eliminated. And what that means is that uh, in the minor leagues, it's, it's a little bit confusing, but uh, you've got academies in the Dominican, and every team has one of those, and there's a Dominican Summer League. Then... We'll, whether it's in Arizona or in Florida, the Arizona League or what's called the Gulf Coast League, every organization, all 30, have a team in the Gulf Coast League, right? And that is what they call a complex or what's called rookie baseball. Everybody knows single A, double A, and triple A. But the reality is there's more than that, right? So going from it from the other side of the equation, there are four full season levels of minor league baseball. There's low single A, or what people just call single A, high A or advanced A. So for those low A is Delmarva, high A is Frederick, double A is Bowie, where I broadcast, and triple A is Norfolk. Now, the, the proposal here standing is that all four of those leagues, right, the full season leagues would remain, meaning that all three major leagues would have a team at all those levels. That's 120 teams. There are currently 160 uh, in minor league baseball and uh, and then but then you've got the complex uh you know teams as well so so in essence uh what you would see ironed out in this whole proposal is that in essence the short season leagues would be eliminated the new york Penn league is aberdeen so when collegiate kids get drafted in the june draft it's a 40 round draft that would be minimized to 20 rounds or 25, depending, I've seen it in two different places. But basically, Aberdeen's league would be gone. And then also, the league below. Now, the Orioles used to have a team, Bluefield, that's where, I mean, so many Oriole greats, Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, they all made their professional debuts in Bluefield. Uh, But uh, the Appalachian League, where I had my career start uh, in professional baseball, that would be gone as well. So, in essence... Um, what you'd be looking at is instead of teams having six or seven American minor league teams, uh, they would only have five uh, Gulf Coast League team for the Orioles and the four full season league teams. But, the, you know, there, there are uh, in, in this proposal, just to let everyone know what they're 
proposed that Aberdeen would not would the New York Penn League would be eliminated, but Frederick would lose their team, and Aberdeen would become the Carolina League affiliate of the Orioles. So that's kind of what is being proposed. So the Orioles structure would be a Gulf Coast League team, Low A Dolmarva, High A Aberdeen, Double A Bowie, and Double A Norfolk. Right. Um, now, and we'll talk about the reasons why. Right. But, and there's uh, yeah. there's some good ideas in this proposal as well that I want to get to eventually, but. Do you know where they came out with this list of these, uh, whatever, 42 teams, which Frederick's and one of the Why ones? Frederick, yeah. Like, it seems like Frederick, I get the idea of getting rid of, like, um, like Hagerstown that has, or Potomac that has a horrible stadium and can't keep it up. And the Frederick Keys, has high attendance every year. Yeah, they're right. The Keys have Correct. a good crowd. How did they choose these names? The Keys were a shocker. I mean, the Keys are one of the highest... Uh, if not the, probably one of the three or four highest attended teams uh, that are on the list. Um, but the list was constructed really not out of marketing. Um, a lot of it, was, and there were many reasons beyond what I'm going to go into, but but the, the two main reasons were um, relocation. So in essence, uh, minor league baseball feels that with a lot of the changes to bigger markets and better uh, you know, financial opportunities for owners over the years that the leagues themselves have gotten too big and travel in minor league baseball is out of control and, and, uh, and it's not conducive to player development. Number one, number two would be facilities. And this is where Frederick falls in. If you really look, you know, uh, Harry Grove stadium, now Nimeo field, uh, when it was built, the final stages of it were built on the cheap, meaning the clubhouses are extremely small and they are on the concourse. So where most facilities have it, and Bowie is not this way, but most facilities, you know, you walk into your dugout and you walk out the back of your dugout and you're under the stadium and then you walk into your clubhouse. In Frederick, you have to walk up through the stands to, to your clubhouse and, and you know i mean it's crazy because when you think about it in a marketing sense places like germantown and gaithersburg are so big uh, uh, and they go to frederick and frederick i mean these are places that's so important for the orioles to keep people as oriole fans and uh you know frederick is actually the largest city uh with an affiliated mightily team in maryland so frederick is a bigger city than Bowie. it's a bigger city than salisbury it's it's bigger than Aberdeen. It's bigger than Hagerstown. So you put all this together, and it just doesn't make much sense uh, for the Orioles to let Frederick slip away. But that that's what is being proposed right, right now, so, albeit I think it's a long shot. Yeah, it seems like Frederick would be a great place for the Nationals to just move in one of their teams into there and try to steal some of that fan base. Right, right. And obviously, you know, you're in a position, obviously, where the Nets are on top right now. Out of these other years, the Nats and the Orioles in 2012, 14, 16, and such. I mean, they were kind of both good the same years, and now you know the Orioles still are feeling a fan so long far away, and uh, the Nationals are on the top of the mountain. So it's an important time to try to keep people in Frederick, Maryland, and in Gaithersburg, um, you know, northern Montgomery County, to try to keep them Oriole fans, uh, those that still are, but, but I, I, um, but anyways, I, it's looking at it broader than Frederick. Frederick is so near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, this Bowie is the fourth team I've worked for two of the preceding three teams I work for are on the, you know, the 42 list. Oh, wow. So, uh, the other one being Burlington of the Appalachia league. So I just, uh, you know, um, I, we can go 
start talking about why this is, uh, you know, being looked into and what, what it kind of from both sides, but, uh, you know, obviously it's a stunning proposal. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the long shot that I draw comfort of that, but, but I I think this is another deal where, and I, I know from what I read, um, Lou Lou and Michael Elias was also so supportive of, the, of this idea, and from and it sounds to me like kind of like FanFest, where you're kind of pinching pennies a little bit, but I wonder if like my, the FanFest and minor league games are are very appealing to kids and for families, and I wonder if, for the long term health of the Orioles, if you're as Josh mentioned losing fans, especially like you losing young fans who often grow up going to minor league games and then become fans of the major league team, right? Isn't there, like, are, are they not considering, like, the long-term cost as a, being so concerned about the immediate financial loss? I think this is the big aspect that, that it's hard to put a value on because, you know, the reality is the Orioles and Frederick, like, they could say, hey, well, these people, you're going to a Frederick Keys game tonight. Why aren't you going to Camden Yards? We're losing that money or something like that. The reality is the more keys games you go to, you're probably way more apt to go to a lot of Oriole games, right? So the keys are a conduit towards bringing people to Orioles games. But the majority of these cities uh, that are on the list of 42 are not an hour from their big league affiliate. I mean, almost all of them aren't. So, you know, the reality of it is, uh, I think Jackson, Tennessee is an Arizona Diamondbacks affiliate, double A, Chattanooga was a Minnesota Twins affiliate for a long time. Actually, they're different now, but but, uh, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like the, these yeah. play, Chattanooga, Tennessee's had minor league baseball since eighteen the 1890s or something, and, and they're on the list. So the the big thing is, it's more along the lines of, um, boy, we are are we really cutting out? since baseball is so such an important sport in our nation and for what in essence is a few million dollars per team in what needs to happen here. We'll get into the, the heart of what I think this is all about here, but, but like, is it really worth to gut uh, these small towns uh, yeah. and, and take baseball, professional baseball away Montana. Now who thinks about Montana? Montana has got three professional teams. Every one of them would be lost. If you lived in the state of Montana, you'd have to drive a thousand miles to go see a pro baseball game if this goes through. So how much are you losing, you know, fans? I mean, you know, just just flat out because minor league baseball is such a fun and affordable way uh, to get to know and love the game of baseball. How it, it is. And there's something so much more intimate because I went this year when, when I had a son, like I loved going to minor league games with them as opposed to major league games. And it wasn't just about the cost. It was more about, we can sit up close. You can see the players closer. Like it's just a much more kind of intimate experience where my son's real into that S- sitting in the upper deck of Camden yards. He likes it, but it's not the same as being that close to, to right. the players. So you really exactly. do lose. It's not just about cost. It's about, there's something special about the minor league experience that you don't get at the majors. Right. And we're, the talking about, we're, we're talking about them cutting a quarter Teams yeah. in minor league That's baseball. Crazy. So this is substantial. It, it's not five teams. I mean, it, it is an enormous segment. Minor league baseball uh, doesn't include AAA teams now. Uh, it includes two teams in the Eastern League, the league that the Bowie Bay Sox are in, Erie, Pennsylvania, and Binghamton, New York. 
but but going more into why, like, well, why would they want to do this? And yeah, why? The, the reason is, you know, a few years ago, I was fortunate enough to host uh, what was, in essence, the opening ceremonies of uh, the winter meetings. And minor league baseball was was lobbying to push through an act at that time called the Save Our Pastime Act. And in essence, what it was, was minor league baseball is trying to do everything they can to make sure, and this would not affect signing bonuses where players make most of their money, but basically keep player salaries down. And you'd think, why would they do that? I mean, you, you know, if you're a 25th round draft choice, like remember Donnie Hart, the left-hander, I mean, that came up. Donnie was making like, Eight to ten thousand dollars the year that he got called up in 2016 to the Orioles, and at the end of the year, I I did the math, and he had made like almost 250 grand. And if he stayed with the Bay Sox all year, he would have made like nine. You know, I mean, it's that drastic. So the reality is that these minor league players, uh, before they become free agents, four years for a college player, six uh, for a Latin or I believe Latin players, and um, and high school draftees, you know, the 18 year olds that come in basically. I mean, they're just not paid a livable way. I mean, anything close to minimum wage. And how is that humane? How is that legal? So the reality here is that what Major League Baseball, so in essence, minor league teams are operated by minor league staff, meaning I you know, am a full time employee of the Bowie Bay Sox, I don't work for the Orioles. I work alongside the U.S., but I work for the Bowie Bay Sox. Now, minor league teams, our baseball players, minor league teams, they have their own owners, right? Correct. So, how do the finances work between like the Orioles and like the ownership of the Bay Sox or the Keys and these minor league groups? So, the Orioles don't make money off, you know, the marketing, the tickets, the hot dogs, that you know, the sponsorships at the minor league level. That's what. A minor league operation is all about. So my boss is Brian Shalcross. He's the general manager of the Bowie Bay Sox, but his job is is basically a lot like a Greg Bader's job for the Orioles. You know, running the marketing, the sales, uh, overseeing our team that includes the operations of the facility, meaning the groundskeeping and and making sure it's a clean and safe place, and then and you know the ticketing and the advertising and in the staff of 15 to 20 full-time people and then all the seasonal staff as well uh, that work at Prince George's Stadium. The Orioles are in charge of everything on the field. Buck Britton is our manager about to go into his second year. He's paid by the Orioles. Uh, all of our players are paid by the Orioles. All of our staff, you know, that heads up instruction is paid by the Orioles. So that's important to know because in essence what's happening here even though it hasn't been laid out in in articles like this, is that you've got teams that in essence have 200 to 240 minor league players within their system. And the way to pay them more that major league owners want to do is they want to pay less of them the same amount of money. So they want to pay 150 players because that's really what it's all about. There would be a cap of 150 minor league players per organization, and they they're basically we're going to pay the same amount of money that we paid to the more than 200 players, but we're now going to pay that to 150, and now we're going to pay the same amount of money, and their wages are going to be livable. And mm-hmm. that might seem like you know a, a, a way that makes sense, 
but the rea- you know the reality of it, the other aspect is this you know in their mind you know you've got a 25 man now 26 man baseball team do i really need 135 players in the minor leagues i mean isn't that a little bit too much I, I, you know i we we're kind of funding this entity and then these other owners are making money off of us funding the people that are playing the games it it doesn't make sense we don't need all of this right especially with the new things like trackman or whatever we don't it, we're so much better at scouting our players and understanding we don't we don't need all all of you know these levels Personally, that whole statement I just made, I don't really believe in because I believe that uh, when you're talking about an industry that is not in, counted in the millions, but in the billions, when you look at the economic interests, uh, how important minor league baseball is throughout our country, uh, you look at how important the levels in the minor leagues are to high school players and Latin players, especially Latin players. I just feel that eradicating them is to to save $2 million. I mean, you know, when the Yankees, you know, are probably going to have to pay Ellsbury 26 million to go home. I mean, like, what are we really doing here? I mean, you know, just, you know, you could even argue that the players could invest half, you know, you could, you could tax the players half a percentage point of their salaries and, and that money could go back to minor league salaries, like pay it forward. I, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, so much I, that I, could be done. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't even get the art. I mean, on the one hand, we're seeing record t- TV deals. We're seeing teams right. and owners make more money than they've ever had. And so, on the other hand, you, the miners can't get two million dollars. Like, I, I don't. Well, that they, doesn't make sense. They also just approved to raise the minimum salary for major league players by like eight thousand some dollars. Yeah, so they're increasing it at the major league level, but don't I, I no one feels bad to the owners a, in this situation. <laughs> I think there's a worry that has not been spoken of. I've not seen it written about, so this is completely, you know, an Adam Pole conspiracy theory bit per se. But but I've talked about this on this podcast before. The reason in my mind why baseball salaries are four to five times as much as they were 15 to 20 years ago. I mean, I'm still stunned. You know, Yasmani Grandal. I'm like, oh, he's a good player. It's like four years, seven. 73 million. I'm like, oh my God. Like, that is unbelievable. Can you imagine seeing that number 15 years ago? I mean, that is absolutely unreal. And that was even the era of A Rod getting his contracts. The, the big thing in my mind is that the regional television deals, right, are the reason why, not the national deals. So in the NFL, it's all about the national deals. In baseball, it's the regional deals. So for the Orioles and Nationals, it's massive. So, so yeah. what they're making their money off of is that we all subscribe to Matt, to our cable service, whatever it is, we get Masson. Masson gets a very small chunk of your cable bill and yada, yada, yada. Well, what is happening? Okay. What, what, I mean, like it's happening rampantly in, in a year or two. It's not just a small thing. Everybody is cutting the cord. Everybody is tailoring their viewing experience saying, why do I need Masson? I don't like baseball. Like, or, like I don't watch a baseball game. I'm going to cut that out. I'm going to save a few bucks a month. It, I mean, it used to be that everybody got it. So the reality is that they used to have the whole pie. And even though they're still going to have a large chunk of it, it it's not going to be what it was. And I learned from being a business person in baseball and just in general, it, it doesn't matter how much money you make. You can make 
10 times as much as you expect to make in one year. The next year, you're going to be asked to make more than you the year before. And Major League Baseball, I think, is worried that in the next 10 years, their piece of that pie, right, is going to recede. And what's going to happen is that Major League players are, even though they're making just incredibly insane amounts of money they're going to want to make more but major league owners are going to be making less and they are saying well if we're making less you're not making more you know i mean that it's just that that's how i see this playing out and it's going to be very interesting to see uh how dire this is and we just have to hope that it doesn't lead to a strike and in you know whenever the next time it comes up but the reality of this all beings is that just saying, okay, owners, you pay two to three million dollars for a year. Well, you know, I need that. But lastly, because I'm going on and on here, is is I just I really feel that there's a lot of players, especially Latin ball players, that would not get a chance uh, if if these deals. And maybe I could be proven wrong. I'd like to talk to a major baseball ops person about this, but I mean, the Astros are the team that really presented this proposal. And are you telling me Jose Altuve, a five foot four guy that made like 15 or 20 grand to sign? You're telling me that they would have even signed him when you've got a cap of 150 minor league players. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I just don't see it. Well, uh, for one, I mean, the good thing about the is, there should be a cap for people because right now, like the Yankees can have a whole lot more minor league players working on development than smaller market teams. But I wonder how much of this is going to turn into hiding players in like the Dominican Republic leagues and these foreign leagues that aren't as controlled as minor leagues. I mean, you could quite like, you know, it's almost like independent ball would start in the Dominican and you start signing players at a later age that kind of are late bloomers that show, I, you know, that is obviously what, what would kind of come I, You know, it, it's so important when it, let's say you sign a, a Dominican ball player that's between 16 and 18 years old. Well, there's complex ball, but then if there's no short season baseball, I mean, the average player in low A baseball is 22 years old. So that means that even if they make it up a year early, I mean, they might, I mean, you know, it's going to be like three or four years you've got to hold them before they even go anywhere. I don't know. It just, it seems to me that the value of sending these ballplayers out, playing for teams that are in communities, in front of fans, you know, learning the English language out in the United States of America, in these small places like a Missoula, Montana, or a Burlington, North Carolina, or an Aberdeen, Maryland, like, you know, uh, like, like we have now. I just, I see so much value in that. And I don't understand why, I, you know, to me, I, it's, it's um, you know, it's a big thing that stands out as to why this is, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Yeah, it's it's true, Adam. There's oh man, I don't know where there's so much to unpack there. But I I think we've already seen owners, and maybe this is just kind of my perception as I get older. But and maybe this was always the case. But it seems to me now we see owners who are more concerned with building kind of an organization that is financially um, relevant and making money, as opposed to just always going for 
always trying to win. We see this with like the Dodgers re- recently where they do have the money to make other signings, but they're making money. So they're kind of good where they're at. We see it now in the offseason where they're talking where the uh, Red Sox are talking about trading J.D. Martinez or, or or Mookie Betts because they can't pay everybody. Because, right. again, it seems like now the focus on owners is to have a, a, a business that consistently makes money as opposed to winning being the ultimate goal. It's true. But, I mean, it, it's hard to cipher that. You know, the problem is you can only pay $30 million a year to so many players, right? And uh, the Red Sox, it looks like. Like have paid them to the wrong players as far as looking at it in a long investment. I mean, they're kind of uh, in that moment that the Orioles were a few years ago where it's like, okay, we don't have much in the minor leagues and uh, we've got all these players. You know, for us, it was Machado and Scope. And, you know, we got all these ball players that, and Zach Britton, and, you know, but we can't really afford to keep them because of, you know, and it's it's kind of a disaster, uh, which obviously for us in, in Baltimore, we're not too, uh, we're not, we're not crying any tears. The, the reality I, I, I see just, just all together with this is it's, it's more to do actually with technology because the teams that are pitching this are this, the tip of the spear teams in the analytical yeah. age. Yeah. So I had a scout come to me last year and a local scout and with a major league organization who, cause it, people might not know this, but basically like the Orioles don't have a hundred scouts in Baltimore. Like, like you have scouts all over the country and world and for every team. Right. So this guy, guy, was a scout for a national league team, but he scouts the mid Atlantic region for that team. And he said to me, he said, Adam, he goes, I got to be honest. I I've, I've always pulled for the Orioles my entire life. Grew up a huge Oriole fan. He's from our, you know, Maryland. And he said, you know, I, I really hope that you guys fail. And the reason he said that is simple because this new way that Mike Elias is putting forth the Astros and such is devaluing the, time scout in valuing metrics that you can see like spin rate and you know the eggs of well i mean it goes beyond that stuff but but in essence they don't have to send 80 scouts out around the world into the field to feel like they've got a grasp and are able to draft right? so this is a part of it that what they're saying is we don't need to since we have more data to be able to draft and then or develop players, right? We don't really need to take as many players because the reality of it is that there's not there's not going to be as many diamonds in the rough as there yeah. were in the past. Well, because and- we have the technology now that can tell us who's going to be you know the the best players. Yeah. So what you're seeing this in in society, you know where where technology is eliminating jobs. And that's, in essence, what baseball is trying to do. And the crazy thing here is we all think about it as baseball fans about the players. But think about it more even about people like me, people that work. I'm a full-time salesperson for the Bowie Bay Sox that also calls their games. You know, uh, my counterpart, Jeff Arnold, my colleague in Frederick, is a full-time employee of the Frederick Keys. He broadcasts all over I mean, he is, I mean, he's an unbelievable broadcaster. He goes everywhere and does so much, but the reality is the keys are his full-time job. And if this goes through, the, the keys are gone. And, and, and in essence, 
I know that they say that they would have a dream league, but that dream league is basically just a dream, right? I mean, it, it wouldn't, no one says that that would exist. So in essence, you're looking at 42 staffs of people. And I mean, for the, there are hundreds of people that work for the Bowie Bay Sox. The Bay Sox had eliminated, it, it would be enormous. The, I know that the Frederick Keys economic impact on the state of Maryland is the same in essence, in, right in the ballpark of the Preakness. Think about that. We're, we're building a 200, whatever, million dollars, wow. you know, to keep the practice in Maryland. If we lose the keys, it would be just like losing the practice financially. Right. And because of the amount of money that oh, comes in. Right. And you mentioned that we are seeing this in other industries and in other industries uh, change. And then we see other companies coming in, fill that void. Is this an opportunity for independent baseball where there's going to be empty state if this went through, there would be empty stadiums in these cities that just want baseball. And is a Howard, do you know much about the independent leagues? And if this is something that they can jump on and kind of thrive, especially when I we're just, seeing a technology thing where like one guy gets a little video retweeted by the pitching ninja on Twitter and suddenly he's got a baseball contract. So you can still find those diamonds in the rough through an independent league, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that a market like Frederick would probably get soaked up by an independent league, but independent league, I don't think baseball would grow by that much. Um, you know, if anything in the last 15 to 20 years, independent league baseball has shrunk in the United States. Um, but I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I'd be wrong, but I think that of the 42 teams, the majority of them uh, would just completely lose their team. I, I really believe that. Um, so um, I, I think that, it's interesting, but it, it is a sign of the times. I mean, not to get too political, but it's interesting that Bernie Sanders is the politician that's come out uh, in uh, recently. The 105 Congress wrote to Major League Baseball uh, supporting the minor leagues, and and, uh, and then Bernie Sanders made quite a plea public about, you know, in essence, corporate greed and how baseball mm-hmm. is a multi-billion-dollar industry. And, uh, and and here you are that you know here's a way that we can be leaner and and greener like we can make ourselves we can put this money right in our pocket and you know who cares if there isn't a team in Elizabethton Tennessee and Missoula Montana right you know like what how does that really affect me um, and, and that's what we're seeing in essence right in our society is that uh, if you look uh, technology is taking away jobs and it's one of the reasons why um we are such an employed society right because jobs are going away and this is just another element of a big corporation trying to get rid of jobs now for them the jobs would just be the minor league players and then people like me losing their jobs would just be a subsidiary of that but in essence um i don't know i mean to me, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, like from the initial thing I said about why as a major league owner we would want it's understandable, but w- when you really take a look at the forest from the trees, it just seems like on a marketing level, on a PR level, um, what I mean by marketing, the future fans of the game, PR level, how baseball's looked at in in the now, um, you know, people are disgusted by this, 
and they should be, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's hard for me to believe that, that this could happen. And maybe yeah. major league baseball's thinking, well, this, we're going to go strong and then we'll back off and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. Um, and what that middle is, is unknown, but, um, but this was a shock to our industry, an, an absolute shock, you know, undoubtedly, or like, no matter like, if what's, you work what's for a the team next. That, yeah. The next step I think would be, well, it's, it's going to happen right now. The winter meetings are coming up. This is when the major uh, negotiations are going to go on. Um, but the reality of it is that minor league base, like the Frederick keys are happening for 2020. This would be right. what we're talking about is actually for the 2021 season, probably something we should have said earlier in the, you know, in the talk overall to, to try to, you know, dissipate confusion. But, but the reality of it is right? because sometimes you think about this stuff happening, like we'll slowly phase it out over the next 15 years, but they're saying no for the 2021 season, which seems really soon. <laughs> Correct. So, like, let's say that in Frederick, it's a facilities issue. And if they said, you've got five years to amend yeah. this problem, well, guess yeah. what? They would think they'd, pro- they'd get it done. Yeah. So that's what's fr- that's what's frustrating. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I want to use obscenities, but but I mean, <laughs> the reality of the situation is that um, what I'm hoping is that we see a quick resolution to this. And that it doesn't go into their season, right? I mean, you know, the keys, uh, you know, playing this season, they're going to probably have two of the best prospects they've ever had on their team to start the year. Um, in Adley Rutschman, the catching, of course, and Grissom Rodriguez pitching. Yeah. It's like, you know, if it's opening day at Nimeo Field and you've got Grayson Rodriguez throwing to Adley Rutschman, that should be the story, right? It should yeah, be, is this the final yeah. opening day ever in Frederick? I mean, the Keys are also the longest Orioles minor league affiliate. Many people don't know that anymore, but they've been an Orioles affiliate since their inception in 1989. So hmm. you got a lot of history, and, um, and it's such a new I just don't see it happening, but it doesn't mean I'm not worried. And, um, you know, uh, we're, we're kind of really we're going to be sitting on pins and needles in the next few weeks to see what happens. And if there is a middle ground, you know, I talked about the two things. I talked about travel problems and facility issues. And um, my thinking of middle ground would be, number one, uh, keeping the, the same amount of minor league team, but relocating a few teams in what league they're in to therefore mitigate travel. Um, switching up certain leagues. Uh, if you if you dig in and read a Baseball America or a New York Times article, kind of see what we're talking about here but in essence uh it, it might amend it really wouldn't affect many of the teams on the east coast but sometimes like out in texas and out in california there's just some crazy travel and they can do some things with cities uh, to alleviate that a little bit number so that could be number one and number two would be maybe to give a timetable to allow these places uh to update uh their facility right so uh in in Frederick, there's many ways you could alleviate the problems of the club. And, and one other aspect to this is the changing face of minor league baseball. When I started as a minor league broadcaster uh, in 2003, you had a manager, a pitching coach, a hitting coach, a trainer, and a broadcaster. And then you had the team. That's it. That was five people. I mean, it's yeah. like 11 or 12 people now, you know, that are the staff, right? The Orioles just added a fundamentals full-time coach to 
every team. So the Orioles will not have roving coordinators anymore. They're just going to have an extra coach with each team. So those, you know, the, the travel, the size of the bus, I mean, these, these things are all issues. Uh, the size of the clubhouses were made for the teams that I was talking about 15 years ago. I mean, mm. the, these coaching rooms, like they're made for a few people to be in. And now there's like, you know, <laughs> this, you know like seven to 10 people there. So, so in essence, yeah. there's going to have huh. to be changes made to the facilities here and there, but we're not talking about tearing down a stadium or rebuilding. I mean, we're talking about making a clubhouse bigger and maybe changing where it's located. I mean, you know, it, it's something that can be done. Yeah, and the the timing, just from the Orioles' perspective, because you're right, I went to more my my minor league games this year, this past year, than I ever have, and partly because my son, but also because for the Orioles, this is a really exciting time in the minors, right? That's all our best players, essentially, are in the minors right now. And so all this talk about removing um, uh, uh, minor, minor league teams. Well, if you're an Oriole fan right now, like you're, you're heavily invested in our minor league teams because that's where all the best players are right now. Right. And, and obviously, you know, if you're after, after the 25th round, you've got like a three to 5% chance to play a, in a major league game. Right. So, yeah. so that, that's one of these things that they're leaning on. But I, I just think back to Latin America. The Orioles obviously didn't, had not spent much in my, my time. I mean, I'm coming up on my 14th year as an Orioles minor league broadcaster. And the two best Latin players that I've broadcast, right, were Jonathan Scope mm-hmm. and Eduardo Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And those two players, those are the two best major league players that were guys that I broadcast. Those two players both signed for less than $50,000. I just don't, they were diamonds in the rough. I don't think they, either one of them would have signed. I really don't. I, I don't think in this new arrangement, they would have signed as Josh stipulated earlier. Maybe they would have had to play in these leagues in, in essence, you know, hopefully, by the time they were 18 or 19, people would have figured out, whoa, you know, look at this guy. Because obviously not every – not the best 16-year-old is not always the best 24-year-old, right? So it's – it's I, you know, I, I just I, – I think that um, this, is a, this is a major, major proposal. And um, I think that uh, – I, I, you know, I, I just feel from talking to a lot of people that there's a feeling that they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And um, – uh, but you know, obviously we will have to see. Yeah. That is a huge story. That's yeah. That's crazy. Um, and it, but it, it also brings to light, like other stories that I think have been underplayed, like the minor league salaries, I think are outrageous, right? How much minor leaguers get paid. And I think like this story brings up that story as well. So I think this story brings up a lot of other stories that maybe people were not aware of. Yeah. Here's a funny, here's a funny example of that. When, when I hosted, uh, the uh, minor league uh, opening ceremonies, it, I, it was nerve wracking. I, I was speaking in front of maybe like a thousand people in a huge ballroom here in DC or at national at the winter meetings. And I had to, um, you know, announce all these awards and announce the president and the president did not give the traditional speech. I'm used to sit hearing him give the winter, meeting, which is kind of an up and up and, you know, we're in good shape. He kind of, a, Hey guys, like, we're, we're in trouble here, you know, and we need to understand that these salaries are something that could 
affect us in a major and extreme way. This was, I think, three years ago. And um, in that regard, what minor league baseball was trying to do was calories as they were. So major league baseball, because if, if minor league baseball teams or major league baseball teams were forced to pay them a lot more, this would happen. Right. So the uh, Reese Hoskins, who we all know, of course, now the Phillies first baseman, he sure. had more home runs than any player in all of minor league baseball that year. So uh, there's an award given to the player in the next meeting. It's a big luncheon that immediately follows the remarks of the president. And, uh, the kind of the state of the union of minor league baseball per se. And the president's got to give this award uh, to the person that hit the most home runs in baseball. Well, Reese Hoskins, they give you $50 for every homer you hit. Well, he hit 40 homers. So he got a check on stage hmm. for $8,000, right? Hmm. You remember my Donnie Hart story, right? So, so he takes this check. And here we all were in a room just 15 minutes earlier talking about how keeping minor league baseball player salaries, you know, at the same level is, is integral to our business model. And, and in that essence, keeping minor league baseball as it is now. And Reese Hoskins basically says, thank you so much. This is basically as much money as I made all year. playing baseball." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, oh, I man. can't believe he just said that, <laughs> you know? So, you know, look, something's going to have to happen. And the reality yeah. is that these players deserve m- more money. But I also believe that the reality is that minor league baseball is a very important piece of Americana. And the other aspect of this is that more than half of our people in this country live in cities. But we can't forget the whatever, 48%, whatever that live in big cities, right? I mean, these yeah. smaller towns in America matter. And yeah. minor league baseball, for many of these towns, it is their team. I mean, in Bowie, we are a small fish in a big pond. But in Binghamton, New York, and in Erie, Pennsylvania, and in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I mean, they're the major league team of their market. And, you know, it's you, you take that away, and, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's really a big, big deal. Yeah, I've got down here in Florida, I've got two minor league teams closer, well closer to me than any major league team. I've got the Jacksonville uh, Jumbo Shrimp and the right. Daytona, uh, I don't know, right. some turtle. And I Daytona's on the list, by the way. Right. Daytona's on the list. Yeah, and, and Daytona's take... ballpark is the ballpark that Jackie Robinson uh, made his professional yes. debut in. Oh, wow. You'd literally be taking pro baseball away right. from such an important historic place. No, so no, that's I, just, an, I mean, I you drive know, past you that stadium. All 42 of these places and have stories like this. But, I mean, how can yeah. you take baseball away from Daytona? They're one of the highest drawing, if not the highest drawing, teams in the Florida State League, but they're not, uh, you know, like a major league complex team, right? So a lot of teams in the Florida State League just play in the complex and therefore that's the reason why i think they're on this list just it's ridiculous right and but uh, but like you were saying that stadium the closest major league team is at least three hours away and even even during the winter when all the teams come down to florida none of them are in daytona they're on the other side of the state most of them so there's nothing nearby right. and, uh, has has minor league baseball. You mentioned like TV markets and stuff and all that's changing now to the Internet. Is minor league baseball doing anything about looking into broadcasting these games more on the Internet and building their yeah, own? And they have. Thing? They have. So there's a thing called MILB. I think it's about 40 bucks a year to purchase and every double and triple. 
bowl game is on it. Many games below that as well. Not every ballpark has MILB TV, but like if you got this package, you could watch every Bay Sox game, right. home and road. Now, and um, I, I tried and that once. A million people that that order it a year, so it's pretty substantial. Okay, good. Well, that's something where hopefully Major League Baseball can grow and um, in that way and bring in some of that money. In that and stream the, and cord but cutters. the other aspect too is that, like you said before, like these minor league teams are owned by different people. So, like uh, the owner of the Bowie Bay Sox, Ken Young, owns the Frederick Keys as well. Well, the Keys, I mean, the Keys are worth, you know, I don't know, I mean, double digit mil. I mean, they might be worth eight to twelve million dollars, right? And you're just going to eradicate that, uh, you know, uh, even in moving level. Fresno in this maneuver would be moving from AAA to single A. If you did that, Fresno, the value of that franchise would go from like $30 million to being like to eight to 10. So, I mean, like when you're making moves like this, like, can you imagine the lawsuits? I mean, you know, I mean, like I, 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 local investors sunk all this money to buy Bing a few years ago to keep the team in Bingham. And, you know, that's, they paid a lot of money month for that team a few just a few years ago and now it's just gonna be gone i mean how it's it's really really a a, kind of a a tough cookie to or or, you know a tough nut to crack per se in that regard because i mean the lawsuits that would flow from eradicating a quarter of minor league baseball would be enormous because guess what my major league teams own quite a few minor league teams like syracuse has issues with their uh, they're AAA for the New York Mets. They've got issues with their facilities, but they're owned by the New York Mets. So guess who's not on the list? You know. Mm. Well, Major League Baseball can make their money because they still don't. They still get Mike so own a few MLB Salem teams as Red well. Sox, right? The Frederick Keys outdraw the Salem Red Sox. Salem's another place I used to work, but the Salem Red Sox are owned by the Boston Red Sox. So in essence. Uh, Major League Baseball is cutting out 42 teams, but they're not cutting out any of the teams that they own. Gotcha. So it, <laughs> they're, not right. looking to, they're not looking to buy <laughs> right. these owners out and then shut down the teams. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Right, they're not worried so, about the know, little guy. The Boston guy. Red Sox are not going to take a $10 million hit by eliminating Salem. You know, uh, yeah. it, it's going to be – and Salem shouldn't be eliminated either, but you understand what I'm saying. So. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. When when you look further into it, it just it's interesting how all this shakes out. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Well, I think it seems like we've dug into that well enough. We want to encourage people to go to the minor leagues and support these minor league teams. And I know that you guys over at the Bay Sox have some. You started your twelve days of Christmas already, right? That's right. Yeah. You, you got to look at. In. Now that's just a a fun promotion where uh, every day, uh, you know, this upcoming week and such, um, every day for the next few weeks, there's going to be a different uh, promotion that goes along with you purchasing uh, a, a an undated ticket package. And one of them is to actually sit down and do an inning with me, you so, know, where you're like my color commentator. Yeah, so that's so a I, lot just, of fun. I just pulled up the list, and Matt, I'm thinking it's time for when you to jump in. When is my uh, day? I don't even know. When is my day? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is my day. Tomorrow, if you buy these uh, these Bay Sox tickets, you get to come and do broadcast an in and of radio with Adam. 
All right. So I think, yes. Matt, Matt, you might want to grab that one, or you might want to grab the one on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Tuesday is a Q&A session with the Bay Sox manager. Yes. So you might want to you might want to grab that one, yeah. Matt. Yeah, Buck Britton. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, w- I would I would uh, stutter a little bit on the radio. I don't I don't know if that goes over well on the radio, but hey, I could be the first stuttering announcer. I like it. Uh, that, that would be fantastic. <laughs> we love it. We would love it. Oh man, I, Adam, this has been uh, really good talking to you. Um, we're already over an hour. I I I wanted to get into the Bowie Bay Sox. But yeah. let's have you back on another time. And we got a full off season. season. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds great. You know, but, uh, just looking at it like we've talked about before, you've got a lot of starting pitchers and a lot of outfielders in the high levels of the minors or already breaking through into the majors. So that's going to be something to really watch. The, the, double, the AAA rotation this year is going to be really exciting because I think you're going to see uh, a lot of guys – that if they have a, a hot start to the year, are going to have a chance to break through. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And and when we get you back on here, I'm going to ask you about those guys because they all kind of had big years at Bowie, at Wells and Lothar and, and Zimmerman. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll have to have you back on here to talk about that. Uh, but as the winter meetings approach, um, everyone should be paying attention to this minor league story because it is, it is a big story. It really is. So... If you're passionate about this, please write a letter or make a call to your contractor. But once again, uh, the minor league baseball has had a lot of support already. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of fighting for for our existence here. So, uh, because, look, I mean, the base side, like for me personally, even obviously I said two of the three teams I've worked in before on this list, but who's to say that in a few years the Bay Sox wouldn't be a part of that too? So, yeah. I mean, you know... Uh, this is this is obviously something that is so important. I mean, the Appalachian League is. I mean, it, it is it is such small town homegrown baseball, and to see that go away would be really really unfortunate. Yeah, it would be. All right, Adam, well, we appreciate you coming on Section Three Three Six. Um, you can follow Adam on Twitter. It's Paul Adam, right? Is yes. Yes. P-O-H-L. Yes, it, it, P-O-H-L. And, uh, you know, this time of year, obviously, I, I do Mount St. Mary's basketball. So you, know, you, you get a little bit of facts, you know, <laughs> some info. You'll see me tweeting about that. Too, but, uh, but, um, but thank you for following. And, and well, once, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. You, you, know, the, uh, you know, the Bay Sox last week even Instagrammed a picture of Albie, Albie Burke's kid. Did you catch that? Really? Back? No, I didn't catch that. From him throwing out Did the pitch this summer. Did you guys get any royalties? <laughs> we should. Who would I right. talk to about didn't that, Adam? I see a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell my, uh, I'll tell my boss tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll tell him that uh, our lawyers uh, better be on the watch out for a letter. Yeah, that's right. My mom's going to call your lawyer. Get ready. <laughs> that's great. I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and thanks, you can follow. Adam. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Appreciate you, you coming on. Um. And Josh, they, they can follow us on Twitter, right? Are you playing the outro music right now? Yeah, Am I not yeah. it's it's playing. I'm putting on all the music after this interview, so it's not that all you're right. not hearing it. But yeah, just all imagine right. the music playing. Oh, I hear it there. There it is. It, you can there it is. There it is. You can follow me on Twitter, of course, at section three three six. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Soroka.
Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's. And go Bay Sox. Thank you for listening to the Section 336 podcast. Please go to iTunes and Facebook for all complaints or the occasional compliment. If I were you, I would not take any baseball advice from these guys. Josh and Matt were raised by an Orioles-obsessed father, and Bert, uh, well, Bert fell in love with Don Mattingly. He has a thing for mustaches. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Fact or myth? In the big game, the coin toss usually comes up heads. That is a myth. In fact, tails has come up more often in recent years. Football is full of myths. Like the pigskin isn't actually made of pigskin. Gambling is a share of myths too. Unfortunately, believing gambling myths can cost you a lot of money. So learn what's myth and what's fact at KeepItFunOhio.com. You'll also find helpful tips, interesting quizzes, and great games all to help ensure gambling is always fun.